Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Anthology presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. If this is your first time listening, Anthology is a podcast exploring science fiction anthology storytelling during television's first golden age, beginning with The Twilight Zone. But in honor of Black Mirror's new season that premiered on Netflix on October 21st, I'm covering each episode of Charlie Brooker's technophobic sci-fi anthology series in this bonus episode series. You can find more of Anthology at AnthologyPod.com. And if you want to contact me, you can use the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash AnthologyPod. You can tweet me at ObsessiveViewer. You can send an email to Matt at ObsessiveViewer.com. Or you can call and leave me a voicemail at 317-762-6099. If you like what you hear and you want to support the podcast, the easiest way to do that is to head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. The more ratings and reviews I get, the easier it will be for people to find the show in iTunes' search results, and it'll help me climb the highly competitive TV and film category of podcasts. And if you're feeling particularly generous and want to show your support with your wallet, you can do that by clicking the donate button on anthologypod.com or the donate link in the show notes of this episode. That link will take you to PayPal where you can just make a donation uh, via PayPal or a credit card. Uh, And and it's a one-time donation. Um, Any donations made will help pay the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. Today on the podcast, I'll be discussing Playtest. It's the second episode of Black Mirror's third season that premiered on October 21st, 2016, as I said before, (laughs) on Netflix. Um, And I recently switched to just brief IMDb summaries uh, for the episodes. So the plot summary for Playtest is an American traveler short on cash signs up to test a revolutionary new gaming system only to discover the thrills are a little too real. So this episode stars Wyatt Russell as Cooper. Uh, He's Kurt Russell's son with Goldie Hawn. Um, You may have seen him in 22 Jump Street, Cowboys and Aliens, and most recently in Everybody Wants Some, the Richard Linklater film. And this episode also stars Hannah John Kamen as Sonia. She was previously in 15 Million Merits, actually, as uh, Selma Telsey. Uh, or I think it's Selma Tels. Anyway, she was one of the contestants on Hot Shots that won. Um, it's kind of in the ad role when they show all the all the uh, people that um, have won Hot Shots or been on Hot Shots. I think she may have been like the star of it. I, I can't really remember. My memory's a little uh, fuzzy on that. And according to IMDb, and this isn't necessarily confirmed or anything because it's IMDb and that's not from a press release or anything, but she has a credit for a season four episode of Black Mirror. So um, she must be in good with with the team over at Black Mirror. And she was also in The Force Awakens, but I mean, her character was uh, listed as Force Order, or sorry, First Order Officer. So I don't know what exact role she was or how prominent she was in the movie. And rounding out the cast is, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, Wunmi Musaku as Katie. Um, She was in Batman v Superman recently, but I honestly don't remember her in the movie at all. Yeah, and and I mean, I had some very very strong opinions about that movie, so I I didn't go back to uh, revisit it or anything, so I don't have it really fresh in my mind, but... Uh, yeah, she was apparently in that movie. Uh, writer for this episode was Charlie Brooker and the director was Dan Trachtenberg, who just recently directed his feature film directorial debut, uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane, which had came out to high praise and I was a huge fan of it and a huge fan of the marketing of it. And it kind of ties in well with Black Mirror and the, the Twilight Zone and essentially what I'm doing here at anthology and that it took the title of Cloverfield and what they've done with it is they have created this brand that is somewhat, somewhat like its own anthology formatted movie series. And it's going to be coming out with a movie called God particle. uh, I think next year Um, that's also going to be connected to the Cloverfield brand. So I'm pretty excited for that. And uh, people might know Dan Trachtenberg from the Totally Rad Show, uh, which was, I, I, I'm not, uh, it was, I mean, it was a, 
it was a web show. Um, I didn't watch much of it. I've seen a little bit here and there, but I'm a big fan of what Dan Trachtenberg did with 10 Cloverfield Lane. And he's, um, obviously a guest freak, uh, not frequent guest, but he's been on, um, one of the podcasts I listen to all the time slash film cast. And it's, it's always awesome to, to, uh, hear him on that. Okay. So I'm going to go into my review here, but just so you guys know, I'm of course going to be spoiling the episode from here moving forward. So if you haven't seen the episode yet, turn this off, go to, go to Netflix, watch the episode and come back and listen. Um, so as I said, when I reviewed nosedive, um, I'm, I've been, I went through this, I went through this season once, just a dry run, just watching it, just experiencing it for the first time. And then I went through it a second time and took notes throughout it. So my initial thoughts on um, Playtest as I watched it the first time, after I watched it that first time, was that I really like the concept of VR and implanted video gaming. And I think the idea of using a person's mind and fears against them for gaming purposes is really unique. But what I like the most in this episode is Cooper's true fear the loss of memory after his father's death and the sequence where he comes home is such a gut punch and hard to watch. And I'll talk about that in my review. Um, but I think in that first viewing in that first, my initial thoughts on it, um, I think the episode faltered a little bit when it came to sticking the landing and it becomes a little too twisty and revealing that it was all in his head and took place over less than a second was kind of disappointing, but it reminded me of the twilight zone episode perchance to dream. So those were my initial thoughts. And then I went through and I watched it again and I went ahead and took notes. And that's going to be the content. That's going to be the uh, bulk of my review here. So let's see if my opinion changed at all with that repeat viewing. Uh, so right from the outset on this episode, we're introduced to Wyatt Russell's character, Cooper. And we see that he's running away from his home, essentially. Not not running, not running away in the uh, child running away sense necessarily he's running away in the sense that he's running away from his fear and responsibility and um the can of worms that is waiting for him and in that respect he's he's kind of selfish and i mean the, the script keeps him pretty selfish or the script doesn't forgive him for that sin of of leaving his mother alone um after that and, and ignoring her he the script doesn't forgive him for that um, so he is pretty selfish, but he becomes a likable character. And I'll, I'll talk about that here in a bit, but, um, I do want to mention that when he leaves the house and he takes his, he has his bag, he puts it in the back of the car, then he gets in the back of the car and then drives off. And when I saw that, I just thought it's pretty funny that we live in a world where a character in a movie or TV show today can get into the back of a stranger's car and that doesn't require a scene or dialogue referencing who the driver is. Like it doesn't reference, we, we're not asking the question of who's picking him up to take him to the airport because it's just Uber or Lyft. Um, I think that's, I think it's just funny that we live in a world like that. And that's kind of changed in some small ways, the way that films are, are written now. And something I picked up on a lot in the second viewing was that there's, there's quite a bit of little foreshadowing and little moments that kind of call toward something at the things that happen later in the episode. Um, in particular, the in-flight movie is pretty, the, or, um, the scene with him on the plane is pretty, pretty clever. And, and I really enjoyed it because he is playing a game and he looks up in the in-flight movie has just a giant spider just scaling a building in New York or, or a city. I don't know if it was New York, but I just like that. That's in his head. That, that seems like it's kind of implanting that image in his head. Um, and that's a nice bit of foreshadowing. And then like, like that's kind of, that's clever in, in and of itself. And that's a fun little thing that you can reference, but then it takes a darker turn with a, with a more dark bit of foreshadowing because the flight attendant stops him and tells him, that he needs to turn off the phone because it's going to interfere with the instruments, which is just awesome um, to see after you see what happens at the end of this episode. And there's, there's a pretty cool montage of him traveling the world and wandering around. He, 
it's it's interesting because that idea that the idea of just traveling the world is really appealing to me uh, a little bit, but I would never be able to do it alone because I wouldn't know what the hell I was doing. But um, the idea that he's going on this little solo journey is is pretty interesting to me, and they kind of there there are short clips where he is he'll he'll say something on a tour. He asks how tall uh, Big Ben is, and I don't know, those little bits of personality there kind of help him become more sympathetic. Because like I said, he is a, he's from the outset, he's a selfish character. He's ba- abandoning his his mother, you might say. So like that and, and helping the girl on the plane understand uh, or be feel better about turbulence, those are little bits and pieces of personality that I like in the Cooper character. And... I gotta say, the world traveler version of Cooper is a lot more likable than the than the one we get later, who is kind of in awe of the VR technology. I'll talk more about that later, but um, the world traveler Cooper is just a lot more likable. Um, I like that he's that he's wandering and he gets he gets kind of lonely. He sees a couple kissing in a, in a cafe, so he loads up. Um, a dating app and meets Sonia and they have some pretty good chemistry. Um, I mean, it's not, I don't, I'm not in love with the relationship that they might have or something, um, in that first scene, but it's effective in that, you know, they're, it's leading to them hooking up when that's as much of a connection as I need to find in the, in that, in the chemistry and the, between the characters, um, it's not until the morning after that I feel like they really click and seem to be uh, seem to be more in tune with each other, and that's where their chemistry kind of grows on screen. Is in that uh, next day scene, um, particularly when he picks up the book and uh, asks him about or asks her about the singularity, and I I just I just love her response to it, where she says. Uh, it's where computers learn to outsmart men like women did years ago. I just, that is such an awesome line. I, I got a huge kick out of that. I, I loved it. And so we get the fun little chemistry laden dialogue between Sonia and Cooper after they hook up. But then it takes a more somber turn as Cooper starts talking about his family and the stuff that he's leaving behind and not leaving behind, but escaping from or postponing coming back to. And he talks about his father and it's that, it's that rawness of him that, that, uh, in revealing that to Sonia and, and to us, he's opening up to us as well as an audience. Um, it almost absolves him from the character sin of running from his family and, and avoiding his mother because in a weird way, it makes us get behind him because we see how vulnerable he is and how, um, hard it's been for him. It's still selfish, and and ultimately, it's his downfall that he ignored his mother. But uh, there's just a likability to that character, and the way that he opens up and is honest and straightforward about about it to Sonia is uh, says a lot about the character and the fear that he has deep within him. And so there's there's a sequence where he loses uh, his money. Uh, he essentially is uh his identity uh, an identity thief takes uh makes some charges on his account and so he needs help getting a ticket home so i mean that's kind of the impetus of the plot of the episode much like how in nosedive it was a, a big part of it was um lacy needs to be a 4.5 because she needs to get this apartment um, and that's, that's why she needs to go to the wedding. It's, it's a convenience, not convenience, but it's a plot device for this episode in that, in that, uh, Cooper needs money to go home. It's, it's a simple plot device and introducing the, the odd jobs app and finding the game tester listing is fine. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's fine. It's not needed to be any better than that. Although you would think, why would a major game developer need to post on that uh, site? Although I guess we know going forward, uh, once he gets there, why they would need uh, the discretion of random people on the internet. And so he is brought into a, a, a freaking mansion where where the game developer 
the game company is. And the score when he gets there is interesting. It's, it's a little remin- uh, reminiscent of 80s horror movie music. Um, that's how it felt at least. Maybe I'm projecting onto it, but it was kind of the synthetic horror music type of sound. And I, I kind of dug it. But not as great as Nosedive's score, sadly, because uh, Max Richter's work on that was really great. And I don't remember who did the score for this episode. Oh, yeah, it was uh, Bear McCreary. Uh, let's see. So so he gets to the mansion, and uh, I really like his little awkward jokes that, that don't land at all. He meets Katie, and he tries to make a little joke at the at the guy standing guard next to the door or standing by next to the door whatever he's doing um but it's completely met, met with a stone reaction and uh Katie doesn't engage him in the in the comedy aspect of it or doesn't doesn't humor his comedic sensibilities and that kind of uh really brought out the awkwardness of the situation and how uncomfortable not necessarily uncomfortable but but just out of, out of his element that Cooper is at that time, the way that he awkwardly jokes is, and they don't land, uh, that helps humanize him a little more. It makes you kind of sympathize with him. And also it's, uh, kind of cool. Cause when they first walk in the door, uh, there's a guy walking from, uh, from the, uh, from the back of the room to the foreground and his shirt is a very prominent, design on the shirt is a big spider. So I thought that was a nice touch as well. So he's brought into a room where he has to sign a release and, and also Sonia has asked him to take a picture because if he takes a picture of anything that they're working on, he could get a ton of money and, and he is, you know, pretty strapped now. So, so he's left alone because there's a, there's a snafu on the, on the forms and he takes a picture of this, the, 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 suitcase that they brought in and it's worth mentioning that there is a white bear logo on on the design of the uh of the plates that they put down for the gopher or the uh whack-a-mole game um and this is a good a time as any to talk about the technology in this episode and and the um concepts surrounding them so this episode revolves around video games and that's great um currently in in the world of video games um vr gaming is kind of becoming more of a consumer thing it's 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 making some waves i'm not in tune with i'm not like as in touch with the gaming community as i was like a decade ago but i know that vr gaming is is a big deal right now and seeing it kind of propelled forward in this episode is really interesting and really kind of fascinating. Um, this is a, a a device that they put at the base of your spine, um, so that you can so that you can see in three dimensions things surrounding you, and that's a really interesting um, device to to have games in. Um, and it's something that I think would be freaking awesome if it actually came true at some point, but it seems a little implausible. Um, I don't know how they would work out the logistics of that, but it, uh, it, it's really a good, something that this episode of Black Mirror does really well is it creates a technology that seems really appealing while also flipping it and making it terrifying. Or fairly scary. I don't know if I would say terrifying per se, but terrifying for Cooper for sure. So he does his whack-a-mole game after taking a picture of the of the thing and his mom calling and interrupting it for a moment. But he plays his whack-a-mole game and then he's introduced to kind of the head of the head of the game uh company. And in that scene there is a really cool moment or there's a really cool scene where where the president of the the company is telling him about or asking him why video games are so popular essentially he's asking why uh why do you feel good when you play video games and they have this discussion about how about how it's an adrenaline rush because you've you've faced um 
you faced a fear or you faced a situation that you could have died in because you're you're involved with with the uh, with the story in the game and and the you're absorbed in it and that's the setup for this and that the actual game test or the play test of this is that he's going to be put into a mansion and this game is going to adjust to his deepest fears um, and try to terrify him. And as a concept for a survival horror game, holy crap, this is kind of astounding. Uh, this would be really cool if it was, you know, a real thing. But I don't think I would sign up to test it because, yeah. So the concept of it's really cool, but also it kind of makes me... It gives me pause about it because I'm I'm... My line of thinking is that he actually the the rules of the of the episode and, and the the logic of the episode follow that Cooper got up took the picture and then set his phone down and then got back in the chair and then when Katie came back in uh she started administering the game uploading it and that's when Cooper's mother called on the phone that should have been turned off and in 0. 0.04 seconds uh Cooper's dead so at that time, he doesn't necessarily know exactly the extent of the game, uh, of the gaming and, and the information um, and everything, which now that I'm saying it out loud, I, I'll waffle back and forth, but um, he, doesn't, he doesn't know the scale of the game. So uh, essentially by the rules of the episode itself that it sets out and, and by the end of it, my hang up is that if he's already dead, then none of what's going on is real. Um, he never goes in and speaks to the president of the company. He never has a conversation about how there's a survival horror game that is going to feed off of your fears and, and, um, adjust to what you fear and everything. So my hang up is if he's one of the best things about black mirror is that it, it takes technology a step further like four steps further than what we have today and, and uh, puts it into its stories. But this is more of a mental exercise in that Cooper just imagines all of this, all of this detail in 0.04 seconds. And it left me felt feeling a little hollow and incomplete. But now that I said that out loud, the game as it's uploading could have faltered and, and he could have just gotten all of that information in his head and that, 0.04 seconds and that could have been um sufficient to to make his make his uh last moments or his last imaginings um as vivid and filled out as they were and as accurate so what do i know so as the survival horror aspect of it starts um i just i love the concept of essentially a, ha a haunted house with a vr implant and the fact that it will learn his fears and get progressively more scary is really clever. And furthermore, I I like that Katie becomes essentially an AI voice in a video game. Like she is the kind of controlling entity of of the uh video the video game that Cooper's in. I, I thought that was a really, really nice touch and that was a good uh nod to video gaming in general. I thought that was pretty cool. Having said that, though, I'm not too sure about the pacing of the episode. Um, at this point, when he gets to the house, we're halfway through the episode. It's almost the exact halfway mark. And it left me feeling like it was taking kind of long because we're about 25 minutes into the episode when we're introduced to the concept of this like this really high concept video game experience that is going to be learning and adjusting as it tries to, you know, torture him by fear. So since it's halfway through the episode, we don't really get a lot of time to really build that up and, and explore that concept as fully as I think it could have if it, if it happened earlier. Now, the sacrifice of that or the um, by having it at the halfway point, if they if they were to extend that into the first or second third of the movie or uh, quarter of the movie, then 
that would have sacrificed all the character development that went into those that first half of the episode. It would have sacrificed the setup of uh, potentially sacrificed the setup of him losing his money and needing needing the uh, needing the money for from the job. It would have sacrificed uh, some maybe some of his backstory about his father and his and his family. So it's I mean it's it's a give and take there, and it's not ruinous that we're halfway through the episode when the survival horror stuff starts, but it still makes me wish that we would have had more time to explore it a little more. And I've already talked about some of the things that hint at what's going to happen later or, or foreshadowing instances later. But the next one I want to point out is that he reads the Raven, um, as he's in, as he's in the mansion or in the, in the, in the house. And it's worth mentioning that because, he met Sonia at a tavern that was called the Raven Inn. And so I think that that's kind of, that's still some of his, his mind taking things that he's seen lately and thought about lately and attributing that into this world because everything at this point forward is in his imagination. And even though I have my hangups about the pacing of the episode um, and the placement of this segment of the episode, I really like the slow build of tension. Um, first, we get the spider, and I like that Katie kind of goads him into into it, saying, uh, like when he notices it, he doesn't say anything, and then she says that she notices noticed that his uh, he had a spike in his heart rate, and then that kind of ushers like that kind of brings him into that uh, creepy uh, scenario where he has to kill the spider. And then we get some little conventional horror elements like the light fixture or the lamp next to him uh, starts flickering. And then he sees him or he sees a light in, in the painting of the mansion that he's in. And this section or this this element of the story didn't really do anything for me. I thought it was kind of weird and out there, but a little moody and atmospheric. But overall, I thought that it was just... um. I could I could have lost it and it would have been fine. And then we get sounds throughout the throughout the house. And at this point, I kind of have a bone to pick with the Cooper character. He becomes kind of kind of obnoxious to to an extent. And this is what I was talking about when I said that World Traveler Cooper is a lot uh, more relatable and likable than than VR Cooper because Cooper knows that he has this implant in his brain or in the back of his uh, the back of his neck. And he knows how it works. He's been told that it's going to, it's going to play on your fears and it's going to create things. He knows that it can create three dimensional objects and, and, uh, mimic sounds and stuff. He knows all of these things yet. He doesn't, he's, he's constantly assuming that everything is real. Like it's not even a, are you guys doing this or, or is this the game thing? It's not a conflict of that. It's just a, Oh, the, the the house is settling or something or or the the pipes are, are creaking or or something and it's just like you don't need that when you have this setup like have him question whether or not it's real rather than trying to prove to himself that it's real i thought that that was kind of a a misstep on the writing of the episode but also i guess it i can see the other side of it and that it makes sense that um he would try to persuade himself that yes those were those were creepy floorboards or something but that it was it wasn't anything there he's trying to comfort himself so i can accept that but i don't know it just got kind of overbearing uh for a little bit and then he gets kind of obnoxious when when the uh apparition or the figment of his imagination manifests itself as his bully from high school like it's not I don't know. He gets kind of just obnoxious and weird and, and it's, it, I didn't, I didn't like it. He's, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't a fan of that. It was a little bit overboard. And I, I respect that why, why Russell had a lot on his plate because it's really hard to carry most of an episode by yourself. And for the most part, he did, he did an admirable job, but in that scene, it just felt, just a little bit overboard. I wasn't crazy about it. However, I do love the reveal of the giant spider bully hybrid 
creature. Um, and that goes back to, the, to the slow building tension working really well. Cause, cause you have all of these little pieces here and there. It's slowly building toward that moment. And that buildup is undercut by, uh, um, Cooper saying he's going to be right behind the the cabinet door when he when he closes it the cupboard door when he closes it because he understands how horror how horror movies work he understands horror conventions and I love that he says jump scares are getting pretty old and then he screams because he sees a monster of a spider um, with the face of his bully and it's just it's it's beautiful I I loved that moment and I thought that it was particularly awesome because by being aware of the scare tactics and general horror elements of, of an environment, um, by being aware of it, he can say, yeah, he's going to be right behind, right behind me or right next to me when I close this, when I close this cupboard. So since he's aware, his mind will conjure up something different. So he is playing a trick on himself. Um, and he himself doesn't realize it because it's like three levels of inception for that to make sense. And then after we, after we have an extended, like that extended, uh, sequence of, of why, uh, of, uh, Cooper in the house by himself, we get Sonia knocking on the door and introducing her into the picture is a nice twist in the story. And I like that we aren't clear as to whether or not she's real. Um, right from the outset because we get the we get the uh misdirect of her being him being able to physically touch her so we get that kind of mislead where it's like oh yeah she really is real cuz i can feel her and then it goes to hell and i i think that by the way that they did it i think that they successfully sell her as a real person in that in that scene. Cause it kind of takes on the idea that at that point we've, we have the standard survival horror, uh, set up and build up. So it kind of makes sense that they would usher into another act where maybe they need to escape the house because he's under, he's under uh, attack or something, or he's not safe as she says. And I like that because the haunted house portion, um, it wasn't necessarily getting old, but, there wasn't much left for them to do with it without it getting really tired and repetitive and, and boring. And again, he tricks himself up. He, he, uh, he trips himself up mentally because he asks Sonia how he found her or how she found him. And she goes through a spiel saying that, uh, I looked on, on your phone and, and did all this and blah, blah, blah. So she gives what sound like valid reasons. And then, he finds ways to to you know question those those reasons like well no you couldn't have gotten to my phone because uh, they took my phone when they brought me here and it's like a mile away and then and then she gives another reason and I like that because again it's his mind trying to trick itself he is having a conversation with himself and he is thinking logically and thinking rationally about how she could possibly be there he's already convinced himself that she's real. Um, and so now he's trying to think of, of how she got there and she's trying to, he's trying to follow the logic of it. But as he pokes holes in it, she becomes more of a malevolent force to him. And that's when you get the, the, uh, faux, the faux reveal that she, uh, that she, that she planted the idea of doing the, of doing the game test and that, and that she's the one that stole his money and that she orchestrated everything. It's all a manifestation of his brain. And I think that that's a really clever way to introduce a, an antagonist for as brief a time as she's in it. It's a really clever concept within the con, within the context of this episode. And then when she attacks him, it becomes a different kind of horror movie almost entirely. It's like a slasher or home invasion movie or episode or story. I don't, I don't know. But I really like that element of it. And I think that that was really cool and really wise of them to switch up the type of horror that they were telling. Um, because, again, it could have gotten tired if they kept hitting the um, haunted house uh, motif uh, more more and it overstayed its welcome 
And this also introduces that he can feel pain, which is big. It's huge because it, it's a game changer, really. But I wish they would have established that earlier and ran with it a little longer. Like, I wish that when he got to the mansion or into the mansion and when it started, I wish that they could have realized that he could feel pain or that it's so, it's so power, the technology is so powerful that he can actually feel pain or trick himself into feeling pain. But, um, they didn't. And again, I'm, I'm going to waffle here again because it makes sense that they wouldn't because he, uh, it's, it's more of a natural progression or a natural buildup to it. Um, if they, if they wait until that moment to reveal that he can, that he can feel pain. But I'd like to think that there's a way that they could have set it up earlier and made it uh, made it fit within the con the construct of the episode. However, again, waffling. But um, I suppose that that would have turned it into a different type of episode entirely and thrown it deeper into a horror story than it really needs to be. And I didn't mention this, but the whole time, um, Katie's voice has has not been in his ear. It's the connection has been uh, cut off. And what I noticed the second time I watched it is that immediately when the voice comes back, Katie says, we've been talking, but you haven't responded. And of course that could corroborate the fact that the, or that could be because the audio or the feed did cut out and they haven't had contact. But I kind of like to think, I kind of like thinking that, um, the break in the connection was actually a manifestation of his mind with, with the mushroom uh, at, on the back of his neck. Um, I like to think that it was like, like the, the technology, the, the mushroom has created, um, or has blocked sound from him. I, I, I would like to believe that. Cause I think that that would be pretty co- uh, cool concept. And I also like that given that the, uh, demon Sonia, um, <laughs> excursion just happened that, when Katie's voice comes back, we can't trust it. We cannot trust a single thing because the rules of this episode, the rules of the story have been broken by Sonia. And I didn't mention the, the fight that they have, but I mean, it was brutal. It was like the second that she threw that she, uh, plunged the knife and knife into him. It was like, it was intense. I, I liked it. And I liked that it was the same spot where the bully, injured him because that shows that he has that in his mind. Um, and so why not replicate it at that point? Cause he has that memory at the forefront of his mind. So it'd probably be easier to get the pain in there too. And then I have another gripe that's coming up, uh, here is like Cooper gets agitated. He freaks out. He says the safe word, uh, to, he says stop to, to bring him out of the game, which is cool that it makes sense. Obviously you would do that too. But, um, Katie tells him that he needs to make it to the access point and we need you to follow instructions and make it to the access point. That's what she says. And I love that because it's such a video game thing. It's such, it's such a video game concept. But again, I wish this was all earlier and I wish it had more time to breathe because she says that and then and then he kind of scoffs at it a little bit but then we cut to him like at the at the bottom of a set of stairs and he says, "Oh, more stairs." It's like so he's already done all of these things and I wish that that was a bigger part of the story is that he's having to go through all of these checkpoints to get to the access point to to end the nightmare and end the game. Um I don't know. It, it would have been uh, more of a video game thing than anything. And there's a, there's a nice Bioshock reference there when he goes into the room. Um, and then she says, we brought you up here to see if we've broken you enough to have you follow instructions blindly. And at that moment, it's, it's kind of cool to think that that's not Katie. That's the game talking and the realization that the game is stealing his memories and making him lose himself um, at that moment because he starts to realize that he's forgetting everything. the The voice is taunting him, asking him what uh, what his mother looks like, and and asking him a ton of questions. Where have you been? What where, where do you live? What's your address? All that stuff. Um, and then that's when he starts to realize that he is losing himself in this, and he is he's losing his memory, his worst fear, his absolute worst fear 
is coming to life. And as many as many criticisms as I had about Wyatt Russell's performance as being kind of obnoxious in the early stages of this uh, section of the episode, he does a really fantastic job here of freaking out, um, being terrified that he's losing his memory while also being confused and, and overwhelmed with uh, confusion and, and fear. And when he starts screaming, get it out of my head, get it out of my head, get it out of my head. And then saying to Katie after they've rushed into the room and everything saying, um, I don't know who I am. It's just, it's so, it's so hard to see cause he is, he's like a child. He's, he's like a, uh, he's like, he's lost. He's listless. He's, he's distant and, um, lost and and it's really painful to see and it really oh that's that's something that's going to stick with me for a while then we get this uh fake reveal that the game has uh is too powerful it's deeply rooted in into his into his brain and they can't take it out they can't take out the mushroom they can't save his memory because it has tendrils that have gone into his brain dug into his brain and made a home there and then he's dragged away and the the owner of the company says to uh, put him with the others or or something to that effect and um the scene ends with him yelling stop and i think that that would have been a really incredible ending if that was the end of the episode like i think that that would have worked really really well um and that would have been a really strong ending um even and then even after that when when he wakes up in the chair Immediately after that, they've taken him out of the VR game to, and he's still in, he's still in the chair in the office. That would have worked well as a as a strong ending as well, and with them, and it would have re- alleviated the fake out that we got. But then we wouldn't get the scene with his mother, which that scene is beyond chilling, and. And it's just, it's so, it gets, it's, it's so tragic and sad and depressing and terrifying. And that kind of makes everything, it's, it's really effective. I'll say that it's really effective. And they could have sold it as he was released from them. And, uh, uh, but the games really did have a lasting effect on him and the game stayed in his brain and, and they really couldn't take it out. So, um, he's seeing all of these, like when he goes home, that's not really his mother. He's just seeing a, his worst fear of it. And that could have played into his line earlier where he says that he doesn't know how to talk to her. Um, I think that would have been pretty cool, but instead we get the real ending. And before I get to that, actually the, the fact that, uh, when she keeps saying she has to call Cooper to make sure he's safe like that, like that scene, that's just going to stick with me for a while. It's, it's really chilling, but then we get the real ending and the real ending is that the phone went off. His mother called and it interfered with the equipment and he died 0.04 seconds after the first time he put, he, he was uploaded to the, to the VR game, which I have warmed up to. I'm warming up to that ending it wasn't quite what I wanted the first time, but I see the merit in it. Um, but it's just not, I think the, the run, the run up to it where you get all of these different, uh, really confusing and out there sequences in the lead up to it. I think that that kind of keeps it, uh, from having, from from me liking it at least because it seems a little busy at the end but overall it's it was a really strong episode it was a strong second episode of this third season and i guess i'll go into my closing thoughts this episode of black mirror it feels like the show is kind of dipping its toes into the horror genre and it feels like it's just playing with horror a little bit which i really enjoy and there's nothing wrong with that the visual effects of the monsters and the creatures and uh, Cooper, uh, that Cooper encounters in the house are pretty well done. They're, they're really well done because like I said, they have that Netflix money and it's also really effective. Like the jump scares and, and the, 
the moody atmosphere is is really solid and and makes for a pretty entertaining horror section of the, of the episode. But the episode works best in Cooper's deep seated fear about his father, and I kind of wish, like while I, while I wish that this episode got to the horror elements faster. I can't deny that the scene with his mother was something that it's going to, like I said, it's going to stick with me for a while. It's, it's really well done. And I've made my piece, I think about the, the way that technology is used in this episode. And while it is still a figment of Cooper's imagination, um, in those 0.04 seconds, it also makes sense that maybe he has, since the information is being uploaded to his brain, that maybe he does have access to, um, some of the plans for for the gaming company and and for the owner of the company and for what they want out of the survival horror genre in their new game. So I'm not. I guess my hang up with that is that it was, if it's true that he imagined it in his in his brain, then it it makes sense that it would be connected to the to the game itself. So I've made my peace with it. Is what I'm trying to say, and. Overall, I think that it, it tracks pretty well, even though, even though I'm not, even though I'm still on the fence about the final ending, um, it tracks well. I, I like how tight the script is in leading up to that reveal. Um, we have a running reference of, to Cooper's mom calling. We have a, a dark secret or dark history, um, or just a painful history that he's running away from. We have him sneaking a picture, and that feels like something that he would do given what we, uh, know about him so far and moreover there's there's an important reason or a good reason for him to um take the picture because it it'll get him money it'll get him home or it'll get him you know out of a bind and the episode altogether all is is it's put together really well um dan trachtenberg did a great job and i'm really looking forward to seeing what he does in the future I just wish that the ending of this episode, the ending reveal, didn't have um, such a potentially negative effect on most of the second half of the episode for me. Or maybe negative effect is too harsh a term. Maybe it's more that it makes me rethink the second half of the episode. Um, and that's not something I really want to do. I want to be along for the ride, and I want to I want to trust that they're going to get me to where I need to go for this uh, in their stories. But, um, overall I enjoyed playtest. I thought that it was a really, um, a strong second episode essentially. Um, but it, and even though, even though the emotion of, of his fear about his mother and his, and his father and about his family, even though the emotion of that fear was sold really well, the whole package of the episode didn't still didn't quite do it for me. Um, I, it's kind of the same thing I had a problem with with Nosedive. It just seems something about it just seems not as impactful as I want it to be. It, it's not a visceral experience for me. The the scene with the mother and some of the scenes involving his uh, his history and everything those those stand alone as as strong moments in the episodes or in the episode, but as a complete narrative altogether, it doesn't really, doesn't really gel with me the way that I would like it to. So, um, maybe my, my, maybe my appreciation for this and nosedive will grow the more I rewatch these episodes. But as of right now, there's nothing inherently wrong with them. They're not bad episodes. They're, they're really, really good episodes, but they haven't, uh, transcended what, uh, I know black mirror is capable of or in the way that I know Black Black Mirror is capable of. So that'll do it for my review of Playtest. Um, and and before I end the podcast, I'm going to go ahead and read a couple uh, excerpts from uh, Charlie Brooker and Annabelle Jones's Reddit AMA from, from a little while ago. And these two pertain a bit to Playtest, and I thought I'd go ahead and read them um, in this episode. So the question was, I was wondering if you ever thought about fucking up with the audience, uh, like having different ends or scenes depending on the day of the week someone is watching or maybe deleting scenes after a few days and watching people freaking out about it on Twitter. 
And he said, have thought about that with playtest. Wanted to do a nightmare mode for people watching it a second time with different fourth wall breaking scenes, but it was just too logistically complicated. We may revisit the idea though. And, uh, man, oh, I hope that they do. I really hope that they find a way to do that because I think it would be really cool. That would be so cool to uh, have different versions of of the episode playing at random and just, oh, I think that would be really cool. And then the next question was, what was it like working with Dan Trachtenberg? And he said, uh, he is a monster. No, he's fantastic, really fun guy, actually geekier about video games than any of us. He insisted on the Bioshock reference, for instance, and we fed him loads of dairy milk Oreo bars, so he owes us. So I I like that. I I enjoyed that. And uh, yeah, closing thought is actually, it's funny because uh, the the Reddit username that that Charlie Brooker and Annabelle are using... um, used in the AMA is just, uh, the username is call your mum, And I thought that that was pretty, that's, that's pretty awesome. Um, so, all right, well, that is going to do it for this week's bonus episode of anthology. Um, once again, like I said last time, um, I'm currently, if you, if you listen to the main feed or the main episodes of anthology, I'm closing in on the end of season one of the twilight zone. So if you have any favorite mo- uh, any favorite episodes, moments, endings, or least favorite episodes, moments, endings, uh, email them in and let me know from season one of the Twilight Zone, and I'll I'm compiling them and I'm gonna uh, read them in uh, my season one wrap up episode at the end of December. So uh, do check that out, and um, if you haven't already, please leave me a rating and review on iTunes. And that about does it. Uh, thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find more episodes at AnthologyPod.com, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast app. If you'd like to help support the podcast, please take a few minutes to leave a rating and a review on iTunes. The more reviews I get, the higher the show will be ranked in iTunes search results, making it easier for people to discover it and grow the podcast. Of course, you can always email me your thoughts and feelings about the show to matt at obsessiveviewer.com. You can also tweet me at obsessiveviewer, like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod, or you can call and leave me a voicemail at 317-762-6099 for a chance to have it played on the show. If you like what you've heard here, I urge you to check out The Obsessive Viewer, a weekly movie and TV podcast I host with my friends Mike and Tiny. Also check out the Obsessive Viewer blog at obsessiveviewer.com where I write movie reviews, TV reviews, and the occasional editorial about the business of entertainment. If you want even more obsessive content in your life, subscribe to the Obsessive Viewer subreddit at r slash obsessiveviewer and check out obsessivebooknerd.com, our sister site for book reviews, author spotlights, and a general celebration of reading. Finally, if you're philosophically curious... Check out my friend Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com. Once again, thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.